Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today we've got really special treat. We have with us today Grace Salmon, who is an author and radio show host. And very quickly, we have to give a shout out to Michelle Cox, because that's how we knew about Grace. Grace, welcome to the podcast. I am so, so happy to be here, Esther. Thanks for having me. And thanks to Michelle. She's fabulous. We've been doing these interviews with people for a while. And while they were concurrent with the other episodes that we did, they were called the bonus episodes. Then we kind of switched things up. The other thing went on hiatus. So that became the episode extras. And Michelle was the first one. After Michelle was on, she's like, hey, I know a lot of people. But can I put you in touch? And was, yes. And now here we are. Michelle and I know each other through a group that I created called Author Talk Network. And it was basically 19 authors that got together to create and collaborate and communicate. And she is just a jewel. And we have had the opportunity to do panels together in Scotland, virtually, and all over the place to talk about all aspects of writing. So, oh my word. Also, let's just sidetrack for a second. When you say like a group of 19 authors that got together, everyone knew someone and brought them into the group or you sort of realized that you all know each other, you're all from the same publisher. How did that happen? I think it was part of the COVID experience, if you will. I wasn't sure where the trajectory of promoting my most recent book, The Eves, was really going to go. So what I wanted to do was to make sure I still had opportunities to talk to people about the messages of The Eves and just to connect with authors in meaningful ways around writing blogs, etc. So I reached out to many authors that I knew through social media and through podcasting, and I asked them whether they would like to come together and find some common ground. So I reached out to a bunch. We had 19 people at the start. And it's been amazing. We're coming out with an ebook in about a month called Sharp Tips for Effective Writing with Red Penguin Press. And these panels have just been so much fun to do, both at conferences and for podcasters. They'll sometimes bring us on as a group to say, let's talk about ghostwriting or let's talk about how you find your characters or what is it like to go down the rabbit hole and do research. You say they bring you on as a group, not all 19 of you, I'm guessing. That would be a bit much. We like to be in groups of three to six, but it really depends on what the nature is. We're doing a panel, I think it is in March of next year, and there'll be six of us on the panel, and we'll be talking about the reading and writing communities. That's awesome. It's basically the pooling of the resources, and then between the whole group, someone fits a panel somewhere. Absolutely. I think we have 17 panel topics, everything from how to be a good podcaster to just the whole route to publishing, indie publishing, hybrid publishing. And those are all on the authortalknetwork.com website. That's great. The writing community is pretty awesome. It's the best. We might be a little bit biased, but that's just how it is. It's true. I'm sidetracking, going back onto the, the usual path that we follow. We always ask everyone about their origin story. How did you get into writing? Why did you decide you were going to write a book? How did this all come about? My first book came about because my business partner at the time said, you need to write a book. And I was like, oh, no, I don't. He was like, oh, no, yes, you do. And then he left the business. And I was like, my goodness, what am I supposed to do? I guess I'm supposed to write a book. So I wrote my first book in six weeks. And that will never happen again in the history of mankind, at least for me. And then I wrote two more educational books. And then when I was winding down my educational consulting career, 
I thought, now what happens? In traveling 200 days a year, what is my next chapter? And I did what I always do. I sat down and I started writing. You'll hear many authors say, I don't know what I'm thinking until it comes out of my fingers. So I just sat down and started thinking, what is my next chapter? And all of a sudden it was a book. Wow. And they kind of say that for people in general, that writing is a good way to find clarity, even if you're not a writer. Just goes to show. What do you mean that your business partner decided that you need to write a book? Assumedly, you don't just walk up to someone who's like, hey, you need to write a book. <laughs> were you doing articles or editing something at the time that he was like, hey, you've got something in you that you should pursue? Well, what we were doing at the time was we were working in 32 states in American high schools. And we were helping high schools reconfigure themselves into smaller learning communities. So rather than having a large high school of three thousand we'd break it all up into smaller units so that teaching and learning would be more personalized and having done this in the 32 states and having run workshops and given keynote speeches etc he just said why don't you write a book so that you can be more marketable and people can work your book and instead of maybe needing to be on the ground 20 days a month in one school district you could fast track the process i went oh i could do that Ah, so the first book you came out with was more of like an instructional sort of something. What would we call it? Yeah, it was nonfiction. It was based in the field of education. My first three books are actually in the field of education. My last one is called Battling the Hamster Wheel, Strategies with High School Improvement. That one was all about why do we keep doing the same thing over and over again? and not making the improvements that we know we can. And that's a question I think many of us ask in our own personal lives. Why do I go on another diet? Why do I get in another bad relationship? Why do I X, Y, or Z? Right. Just because we're honest about those books, how did you publish those ones? What were the decisions? Did you publish them all in the same place? Different places publish them? What happened with that? Because I wrote it so fast and I had an immediate market for it. I self-published the first one. And then Corwin Press out of California, which is a very fine educational press, published the next two. And then Writing Nights out of Houston, Texas, published my novel. Now you have experience. You have a foot kind of in both worlds. Do you see big differences or any differences between the world of, I guess we'll call it kind of academic publishing versus fiction publishing? Or everyone kind of has a certain system in place and it's just a matter of what genre you're plugging into it? I think that's a great question because I was shocked to be very candid that it was much easier for me to get my first educational book published in a credible, credible house than it was for me to get my novel published. And that was with three books under my belt. When I sent out Creating and Sustaining Small Learning Communities, my first book with Corwin Press, I sent it to, I think it was 14 publishers and I got 11 positive responses within weeks. Wow. That's just unheard of in the world of novels. And keep in mind, these are books, the educational books, were well-juried, well-researched, data-driven. I assume, very naively, that if I wrote a novel that was clearly well-crafted, but I had three other books under my belt and I had been traditionally published, it would be relatively, not easy, but relatively firm that I would be able to find a publisher and an agent immediately. And that was not the case. Did you need to find an agent for the academic nonfiction or they were kind of open to anyone who can show what their credentials are? That's a very different aspect of nonfiction and fiction as well. With nonfiction, you submit directly to the publishing house which is just a delight. Either they want your book or they don't. So you don't have that middleman. With the world of novels, as you know, I think the desirable way for most people would be to have an agent. 
agents bring so much benefit to this work and a skill set and a time saver. But today, with what is the statistic? Something like 20,000 books a day get published now. Wow. I see that the world of publishing is very, very different. I do not have an agent, and I am not with one of the big five presses. So when you did write your first novel and you were ready to send it out, etc., you sort of reference this, but you did try to find an agent. You did try to go for the big houses before you decided, never mind, I'm just going to go straight to a press I could talk to directly. Yes, I did all of the right things. I did my research. I figured out which books were similar, if you will, to mine. I read the back where everybody said, I want to thank my blah, blah, blah. And I would write down all the names of the agents and I would come home and I would look them up and I would find out which agency they were with and I would query the heck out of them. As most people, well, maybe most people don't know, you have a, about a 1% chance of getting an agent. And then after you have an agent, you have about a 10% chance of getting your book published. Yeah, it's crazy. Mind-boggling. Once the agent route didn't work, you still have different options because you could go to small press, you could do hybrid, you could do self-publishing. So what was your next thought after that? I was very lucky in that my brother, who is Rick Salmon, who has written, I think, 40 books now on photography. He's amazing. He's so inspirational. I was saying, oh, well, you know, I'm just, with the big words, just going to self-publish. First of all, he said, you know, nobody says to indie film people that you just self-made your film. (laughs) Call yourself an independent publisher. And that really changed my thinking, which I was very, very grateful for. The other thing there was... He introduced me to this wonderful press out of Texas, which is Writing Nights. And I could call up Chad and he could sit me down and say, okay, why do you want to write this book? Why is it important? And that was really perhaps the most important questioning I had in this entire process. Because he kept on saying, why do you want to write it? And I was like, well, it's already written. No, why does it need to be published? Why does the main story? What is success going to look like for you? Because if authors can answer those questions, that entirely changed both the trajectory of how they will publish and market, etc., but it will also help them define their own success. If they're really writing it and their goal was, I have a book in my hand, and that's the ultimate goal, then that's great. You can go to someplace who will make it look great and put it out and get 20 copies for your family. And if that is success, you should celebrate that. If you want to go a different route, then you have to do all of the back work that that entails. Right, that's so true. Especially because you've, even just within the smaller author network that you've got with the 19 authors, but be in touch with way more authors than that from all the other things that you do, it seems that there's kind of, for everything that there is the positive and there's also the flip side for that. So for example, nowadays that self-publishing has become a much bigger thing. On the one hand, it's good because anybody could self-publish. You don't have to wait for a big house to get one of your books out. At the same time, it floods the market. There's not necessarily a solution to that per se because it's just, this is the outcome of it. At the same time, you have authors that because you're saying you have a 10% chance of getting published, they might have a certain kind of pet project or they may have a project that just never took off and they're like, I've got an agent, I've gone to the big five before, but they're not going to publish this book. I'm going to self-publish it. There's like an interesting, like you said, it's it's kind of changing your mindset, but there still is this thing in publishing that if you're not with either traditional or a big five house, then you're not really published. And I hope that that is changing. I will tell you it is very, very rare. And I think I have done over 80 interviews with podcasters and bloggers and TV and radio. I would say maybe once or twice somebody has asked me who my publisher was. 
So I still think you need to, as an author, make sure you do things like, and this sounds so silly, get a real paper copy of a book that your publisher is going to make for you. And I don't mean your book, but you want to see, does it look like a real book? Does it look like somebody went to Staples and made it? Or does it look like it came out of a great house? Looks matter. You have a wide range of choices in some small presses. She writes presses, one, Black Rose Writers. There's a number of them. So you have a choice in a number of small presses. But I also think that as part of this process, you need to know what the quality of the work is to do your homework on the different presses. And also a very important thing is budget. And that's something none of us like to talk about. I still frequently mention that being an author is the most expensive volunteer job I've ever had. Because there's a lot of time and resources, whether it's a Facebook ad at some point or promo materials or book swag, bookmarks, things like that. Whether you're going to go to a book fair and buy a table. There are different expenses that are going to go with this. And then depending on the house that you go with, you will be charged for edits. You will be charged for an audiobook. You will be charged for different things. So while authors don't necessarily go into the whole process with a budget, when they're asking and answering those questions, questions that Chad Robertson from Writing Nights asked me, what does success look like? They also need to say, do I have the resources or what resources do I have to put behind that success I envision? Yeah, it's very true also. That however much you're willing to put into it will affect the quality and people knowing about it and things like that. Because there's also something curious about books in general. People who are big book fans and bookworms and that, they'll buy the books, they'll figure it out somehow. That's not a thing for them. But a lot of casual readers, I guess you could say, or people, they're maybe just excited about a particular book. They're like, why would I pay for a book? Can I just have a free copy of it or something like that? And it's, do you realize that this is like two years worth of an author's, can vary, but let's say two years worth of an author's life went into this book? I don't know. I might have totally sidetracked that. But do you ever get some sort of vibe like that sometimes? I think that's true. And it's also an interesting question about how we work within the work. Obviously, I just love to talk about books. So I am super excited that you want to talk to me today and we get to talk about the different kinds of work that I do as a result of being an author. Obviously, I also hope three people go out and buy the book and then contact me for a book club or for another podcast or something along those lines. But I think that there is very real sense sometimes that people don't want to have to buy your book. There's an awful lot of giveaways, if you will, on Facebook and Instagram. And that's just part of the nature of the beast. Yeah, I guess it's not really a workaround. Someone will go, they'll spend $18 for a movie, however much it is. And that's a one-time thing. And a book you get to keep. Don't you want to keep a book? Yeah. We're promoting. Put more books on your shelves. Run out of space like the rest of us. Bringing it back in, though. So let's talk about your book in particular, the novel. We had a little bit on the nonfiction, but from the fiction side, titles of your book, some quick info on that, please. So the title of my latest novel is called The Eves, like Adam and Eve. And it's a story about a very complex woman who has given up on all of her ambition, but not her lies and not her vodka. And she has basically been hiding from the world since this horrific family event. And she has a very bossy girlfriend who says, you are hiding from the world. And it is time to get out, embrace other 
activities. And she, Jessica, the main character, goes and meets a group of diverse, determined, and sometimes ditzy old women who have decided to leave their mark on the world in some profound ways. So the youngest character is 15, the oldest is 94. Characters are white and black and Native American and Hispanic. There's a lesbian couple. And they live largely in this magnificent, sustainable farm overlooking the Chesapeake Bay. It's just been a delight. The book has been out just two years. I'm so grateful to people who leave reviews. It's trending at about 4.7 stars on all of the platforms. Just really has been such a gift. I love having the opportunity to talk to people about it. Not to shoehorn it or anything, but is this officially just like a woman's fiction, book club fiction, fiction, fiction? Definitely book club fiction. It's interesting. It gets slated as women's fiction. Somebody slated it as hen-lit, which is, I guess, the older version of chick-lit. I thought that was an interesting term. That's probably where it falls, but I do love it when men say that they absolutely adore the book. I just spoke to an author recently who said she doesn't like calling things women's fiction. She prefers book club fiction. First of all, because she just likes the category better because that way it's not, oh, women's fiction only. But it seems that part of book club fiction is also that there's a larger topic, not just a story to be speaking about. But you say kind of like a main theme or main thing of your book is just... How do we want to be at any given age and what mark do we want to leave on the world? There's this theme in the book where these characters dip their hands in paint and leave their mark on the wall as a symbol of what they want to be doing in their lives and what they want to be remembered for. And Jessica, the main character, just can't even get herself there. She just is so broken. But I think that book club thing is important because it's also a great way of marketing. If I say it's women's fiction, one person may buy that book. But if I say it's book club fiction, now I'm going to have 10, 15 women who are going to do that. So it's also partly, I think, a marketing piece. And I think smart authors, and I just stole this idea from others, so I say smart authors (laughs) not to include myself in that. But for example, in the back of my book and on my website, which is gracesalmon.net, you can find book club questions, you can download recipes, you can listen to a playlist. So there are things that authors can do to engage their readers in wonderful book club ways but also there's an example of where one of the characters cooks an italian meal the recipes for that are on my website it doesn't have to be book club but it's lovely ways to continue to engage people in what you've written and that way they can theme the book club that night by the recipe the music ah very good it creates an experience a group experience instead of just you reading the book kind of experience Absolutely. Oh, it's very clever. We all need to go to Italy to experience this book, don't we? We have to start creating that kind of stuff. Exactly. That book you said came out two years ago. Do you have anything else that's lined up now? I have a very entrepreneurial brain, Esther. I've created four different companies in my life. So I have a radio show now called Storytellers, which is the story behind the authors. And I've done Nobel Prize winners and USA Today bestsellers and New York Times bestsellers. And I've got a new radio show coming out starting in August called Launchpad. It is focused primarily on people who are launching their books. So it's a way to celebrate the book launch experience. We'll have four authors on at a time and we'll air across three different Facebook groups and then it like my radio show the storytellers will then be aired on authors on the air global radio network 
I'm super excited about that. We're booked all the way through the new year. And I had the idea then, well, if I'm doing a radio show called Launchpad, why would I not also write three more books? We're working with a publisher now. We think we will have three books called Launchpad, The Countdown to Writing Your Book, Launchpad, The Countdown to Publishing Your Book, and Launchpad, The Countdown to Marketing Your Book. And those will be anthologies, and hopefully they'll be out by late spring. Those are anthologies from writers submitting about their experiences? Yes. Each writer will say you're writing the chapter on publishing. At the end of your chapter, you would have your top 10 tips for getting published. The anthologies, but then we'll also have lead magnets, I think is the term, where we'll be able to send people snippets of the book. So you'll be able to get just the top 10 list, for example. Oh, very good. Are you going to be contributing to that or you're editing it and taking care of that aspect of it? I'm lining up the various authors. I will write the afterwards. We'll have another author write the forward to each Mm -hmm. book, and I will write the afterward to each book. Wow, very good. I know of certain writers that believe very much in anthologies, and then there are some who it's just, oh, anthologies don't solve. It'll be curious because this is something that I guess we could kind of call it craft-oriented to see if that sells differently than if you're just part of a regular fiction anthology or some people who like the sci-fi anthologies because that's a very, very particular market. It'll be an interesting study. Well, it will be, you know, and I was not an anthology person. And then there's a wonderful woman named Mandy Haynes, who is just such a delight to talk to. She runs her own press. She also edits Reading Nation magazine, which everybody should follow. And she created an anthology called Work in Progress about a year ago. I think it came out in December, and she asked if I wanted to be a contributor. She had so many people. I think there are 80 of us. And what that did for me, Esther, was it made me fall in love with the art of short story again. For me, sometimes I don't have the time to sit down and really embrace a whole book. So when Mandy came out with Work in Progress, I just went, oh my goodness, look, I can sit down and read Patricia Sands or Mary Helen Sheriff or Kathleen Rogers or any of the number of people and I can have a snippet of pure enjoyment for the length of a short story. That's a very good point. Having written the novel and going to a short story your brain makes the easy transfer for you writing it or because sometimes for me thinking of a short story is very difficult. I'll have a few ideas, but I have way more ideas for novels than for short stories. Oh, I envy you because (laughs) I had the idea for the eaves and I was driven and I knew that that had to come out of me for sure. And then if you just said to me, Grace, go into your room and give me 3000 words on pumpkin pie, I could give you a great short story. But I have another novel that I'm trying to work on, and I have to tell you, it is slow going. Oh, no. Are we going to call it like a sophomore slump sort of thing, or we're just in denial that that could exist for people? Oh, I think sophomore slump is probably real, but I don't think that's what I'm experiencing. With the creation of Author Talk Network and the two radio shows, I'm also the director of membership for a group called Bookish Road Trip, which is my favorite happy place to be Mm. on Facebook. So I think there's just so many parts of my brain going in wonderful directions that it's hard for me to sit down and write a novel. Yeah. Going back to that for a second, going from nonfiction to fiction, was that a big kind of switch for you or you found yourself easily able to make the switch? I think it was an easy transition because the story was so much in my head. Oh, there you go. Did you have that story in your head for a long while? Because sometimes people like to let the story marinate 
for weeks or months even before they even try to write it down. Yes, and I have a good friend of mine who always tells me, her name's Sarah Lynn Richard, she's a mystery writer. Yeah, we spoke to her. Oh, she's lovely. Yeah, Yeah. she's she's part of Author Talk Network as well. She and I actually worked in education together and now are wonderful authors together. So yes, she's. I'm so glad you spoke with her. She and I were bemoaning the fact that I wasn't writing the novel. And she said, well, are you doing anything? I said, well, Sarah Lynn, I think about it all the time. And she goes, oh, well, then you're writing it. It's okay. Uh, so that made go. me feel better. That made me feel better. I once heard a director speak. I don't remember what the director's name was, but I know A Most Violent Year, I think it came out a while ago. But I think he was the writer-director of that. And he said that until he can actually see his characters, he does not write at all. And that's, oh, interesting. Yeah, that's his process. Until they're actually real to him, he won't just take an idea and try to write it. Not until everything is like fully flushed out. Yeah, everyone's got their own methods, so... Absolutely. I guess also, once you have it full in your brain, you can, maybe you skip the writer's block... That's how people might have, or we'll call it a stalling. You could skip a stall thing because you already know, not that nothing's going to change, but like if it's all so clear to you, you're not trying to figure those parts out as you're writing it kind of thing. Right. Everyone thinks sometimes when you read a craft book, like, oh, I have to do what they did, but no, you have to do what works for you. And you could be... So right. Going back to the radio show, the first one, the Storytellers, where do you air that aside from your own platform? I'm very lucky to be part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. It's owned by a woman named Pam Stack. We air in 153 countries. She's Florida-based. I happen to be in Florida. It's just a wonderful creative network, and it's mostly authors who are interviewing other people. Other writers? Other creative types? Other anything? Mostly other authors and other creative types, but also, for example, I had this Nobel Peace Prize winner on, She won the Nobel Peace Prize with Al Gore for climate change. And although she doesn't have a book out, I think her story is an important one to be told. We get a lot of flexibility under Pam's leadership. Like you said that it airs in a bunch of countries. Does it air digitally or they're also... People know that radio still exists or they stream through something. It's like serious radio, internet radio. And I have no idea how all of the ins and outs of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network works. You could end up with a guest from anywhere in the world kind of thing. Oh, Absolutely. Wow. I don't know if you've ever seen her look before, but it's always a curious thing. I was once out of the country and I walked into, it was an English speaking country, but on a different continent. And I walked into a bookstore there just because I was so curious. All the books that we see and they're all displayed in America. Will I see that in the other country? Sure. And I walked in there and no, you forget that there are other authors out there in the world. And it was interesting to see which books actually made the jump across the pond kind of thing and which sure, ones sure, and sure. which ones hadn't. I don't think there was necessarily a formula for it. It probably just depended on whatever agent that person had because it was like, that book is a medium book in America. It's not a huge book in America and yet it has the foreign rights in this country. And then it's like, but where is this author that I was talking about in America? Not there. Well, yeah, you're in a different country. There's different people. It's different. It was an interesting experience. Oh, I bet it was. And I I always like it, you know, I get a royalty check every month. And I always like it when I get my foreign royalty checks. And they're like, you know, 72 cents, $5, $3.92. But it makes me feel like I'm an internationally published author, so... Well, you are, right? All you have to do is sell one book. I figured this out once with an agent that I was speaking with. All I need to do is go to an island somewhere and become the bestseller on this tiny island that has inhabitants 100. And if I sell 20 books there, I am now an international bestseller. There you go. How can you say it's not? There you go. I maybe, love the way you think. Maybe we can include that in the next thing in the author group things that you've got going on. We'll have a group of us go to these islands and become international bestsellers on the islands. <laughs> That sounds like a great plan. Great. Okay, now we need to 
this sponsor. Just to ask quickly about this kind of stuff, because especially one of the biggest things is authors trying to get their stuff out there. Mainly for you, kind of between the radio, the panels, and then, I don't know, also you try ads or things like that. How do you tell people about your book? I would say the first thing, my foot in the door, was having a book trailer, just like a movie trailer. You can see that on my website. That was my single best calling card. Because in the beginning, I was not being asked to do a lot of interviews. So I would say, here's my trailer. And they would look at it and go, okay, that's interesting. It's got diverse people in it. It's got diverse ages. It's got a bunch of things that we can talk about. But she's also serious about her craft if she has this book trailer. So that was my personal experience. And then I think it's just word of mouth from now on. I'm trying to think if I have another best way to do it. I would say Esther being on shows like yours, quite honestly. Oh, right. For the book trailer, this kind of goes back to like quality of publishing. You contracted with someone to create the book trailer for you. Was there some sort of software or something that you used to make the trailer? There are software packages, and I've seen authors who have used them quite successfully and quite professionally. I did contract with somebody to do it, and I liked it. It gave us a little bit more flexibility. I also think some of the packages don't allow you to do some of the voiceover pieces, which I wanted in my trailer. And that's another thing I love talking about are the number of doors that open to authors from doing certain things. I now do voiceovers for other authors. I've done commercials just because of people hearing me on the air. And I would say most people say they hate their own voice. And I would say I don't hate my voice, but I don't think there's anything magical about my voice. But I love the fact that, you know, today I did an outro and an intro for somebody's radio show. And I like doing that. It's just a different way to give back. Very good. Okay, now because you mentioned you have to ask this before we'll do our wrap-up. When you did first start your radio show, or if you're doing any sort of audio before that, did you have to kind of go through this moment of, don't listen to this like you're listening to yourself. Just make sure you're asking good questions, whatever, and like stop over-focusing on what you actually sound like. Yeah, I don't care about how I sound. And I think that might be the gift of age. I sound how I sound. I look like I look. And I'm much more interested in creating a wonderful opportunity for my guest and a great experience for my listeners. Amen. As you do. Well, because you do get people who they're very shy sometimes about even being on a podcast. It's part of like when you're an author, you have to learn how to tell people that you actually have a book. And I guess when you do podcast or recording, you have to be very confident or just stop listening to yourself and just have a conversation. I think you're right. Well, so for the wrap up, we always do kind of a fill in the blank of I really like it when and choosing anything kind of storytelling related. I really like it when writers, editors, publishers, agents, books, series, stories, covers, whatever. Any of those, I really like it when X and I really don't like X. So how would you fill in the blank for that? I really like it when authors lift each other up to collaborate and communicate and create. And can I be really simple-minded and say, and yes. I really don't like it when authors don't do that. This has been such a collaborative community that I'm always surprised. And that's very rare where there's not good collaboration because this is not a competitive sport. This is a collaborative sport. Yeah, most of the writers that I spoke to, I think probably all of them, are some of like the nicest people. Even some of the big sellers, they want everybody else to also be successful. So Absolutely. I guess that comes also, if you love books and you love writing so much, then you want all the good stuff to be out there. It's good. So great. Grace, thank you so much for joining us today. It's fun speaking with you. Esther, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thanks for talking to other authors on the air people and also to the Author Talk Network. Thanks so much. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring author and radio show host Grace Salmon. To find out more about Grace and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Word podcast and keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, 
Please follow us on Instagram at Oh My Work Podcast. Check us out at el Music is by Tim Burke. Thanks so much for joining us. Catch you next time.